So I love talking about, if you listen to this show, you know that I love talking about my experiences in corporate America. And that's a, a major part of the impetus for what this show has become. I love talking about being the young the young guy in the room, the youngest guy in the executive boardroom, and only black guy in the executive boardroom. And I'm getting old, so now I'm not the youngest guy anymore. I'm not the only black guy most of the time. But it's different being 45 in that room than it was when I was 35 and in that room. And I talk about playing golf with people, even though I can't play golf, terrible at golf, playing these golf scrambles with, with people that I couldn't stand, going to galas on Friday nights after working 80 hours that week. All of the politics that you have to get involved in to, to advance in your career. If you want to be in the C-suite, if you want to be an executive. I talk about how I loved pouring into individuals. And I love learning about myself and becoming a better leader. I'm very open and transparent. When I first got into the executive boardroom, I wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. I didn't pour into people. I was selfish. I was self-centered. Not purposefully. It wasn't a conspiracy. But I was focused on myself. I wasn't building other people up. I wasn't a good leader. I knew my stuff. I was productive. I was bringing in a lot of money to the companies that I worked for. But I wasn't investing in people. And it wasn't until I learned that the, the P&L is infinitely less important than, than my people, my staff, my direct reports, my directors, my managers, down to the people in the call center that I manage. And if you're, not, if you're a leader and you're not pouring into your staff, and you're not building other people, and you're not supplying individuals with what they need to, to be the best that they can be and to advance in their careers, then you're setting yourself up for failure. It doesn't matter if you went to Harvard. It doesn't matter if you went to, to Yale or Stanford, any of these elite schools. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter if you have, have a perfect score on the GRE or the GMAT or the MCAT. If you're not building other people up, if you're not if you're not galvanizing your teams, then you're setting yourself up for failure. So I'm going to do a, a top five dead or alive. I've been watching on LinkedIn. And there's so many articles about people quitting their jobs. And, and if you remember the, the great. Resignation a year and a half ago, people are quitting their jobs left and right. From the time home from from covid and the quarantines. You had a lot of people that had a chance to assess their career and said, you know what? I don't I don't want to be in the rat race. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to start my own LLC. I'm going to liquidate my 401k, start my own business, and sink or swim on my own. You have people that are embracing the gig economy, especially in healthcare, which is my field. So people were, were quitting jobs, and now then the economy tanked. So you quit your job. You was making north of 100K. You quit your job, and you went to go work for some, uh, some stealth mode tech company, startup, and they went belly up in six months. So then you're SOL. So people are like, man, I probably shouldn't have left that, that company I was with for, for 20 years to go to a startup. It's funny. I was watching American Greed last night, and you had the company uh, Nikola. And unlike Tesla, which, you know, is named after uh, Nikola Tesla, but unlike Tesla, instead of making cars, the electric car, this guy made electric trucks. And like the big rigs that you see on the highway that are, that are cutting you off on the highway and, and slowing everybody down and causing these these major chain accidents. I, I think that trucks should have their own highway system. Like they should have their own Eisenhower highway system with guardrails. They shouldn't be on the road with the rest of us. But that's another conversation for another day. 
this guy in Utah was manufacturing these trucks and they were beautiful and they were electric and hydrogen based, no gas, no emissions, all of that stuff. Then they found out it was a complete fraud. The truck didn't work, didn't turn on. When they when they had the unveiling, you could see the 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 extension cord powering it in the back. They took the truck to some mountain and shifted it into neutral and let the truck roll down the mountain. And it got up to like 70 miles an hour. And, and they did some film with drones of the truck speeding down this mountain. It was basically a complete scam. And this guy's going to jail. Um, he had his he had his court date set for January for his sentencing. And it was pushed back till June. Because you know, rich people, they they push it back. They have the lawyers. So he'll be he'll be living in his in his mansion, his $30 million mansion in, in the jacuzzi. While the people that invested in the stock crapped out. Lost all their money. So those are one of the things that cultures, if, if you're going to, to, to a new company, you don't want to go to a company that's that's an absolute scam. But I'm going to do a top five dead or alive. So cue the music. I'm doing a top five dead or alive on, what, on something that I see constantly on LinkedIn. And that's why people quit their jobs. So people quit their jobs for a myriad of reasons. I've visited this before. I'm revisiting it. Top five dead or alive. What compels people to quit their jobs? So number one, bully culture. Bully culture, and I've talked about this. I've talked about experience that I had. I worked at a company that really was engaged and in, in, immersed in bully culture. They believed the people that were VPs and C-suites there, they thought that it was their right to step on the throats of the plebeians, the staff. It was, it was literally a caste system. And I work with a VP once, not my direct boss, but I work with a VP that used to brag about how many divorces and how many people were going through marital issues because he was working his team so hard, he's working them 80, 90 hours a week. And he used to brag about it. And I was just like, man, that that that's not a place that I want to be at a very long time if that's acceptable. I've seen people be bullied microaggressions, macroaggressions, triangulation. It's just difficult to come into work, especially if you're not a high performer. If you're, if you're a C-plus student and you're coming into work, you're good at some things, you're bad at some things, but there's a culture of bullying. There's a culture of excoriating people for, for their weaknesses as opposed to helping them out, giving them an opportunity to grow. And what happens, when I've worked places with a bully culture, even though that's not my tendency, as a manager, as a director, as a vice president, even if you're not a bully, you feel like you got you to go along, get along. So you find yourself devolving into what you see your boss do and what you see their boss do. Number four, career advancement. People want to advance in their careers. They want to have opportunities to grow. They want to have access to succession planning. How do I get to be a manager if i'm a manager and i want to be a director how do i become a director if i'm a director and i want to be a vp how do i become a vp if i'm a vp and i want to be a c-suite how do i become that what do i have to do what social skills do i need to learn you need a boss in a feedback loop between between them and hr that's going to be honest with you on your strengths your weaknesses and how you can improve on your soft skills one of the the best pieces of advice that i've ever received was from one of my bosses that told me 
James, we understand that that you that you know these programs better than everyone else, and that you're the smartest person in the room when it comes to this. But that's not that's not what we hired you to do. We hired you to be a leader. You need to work on your leadership skills. You need to work better with your colleagues. You need to work better with your direct reports because people are talking. And I didn't want to hear that, but I needed to hear that. And I started to grow and get better. A boss that invests that honesty and that feedback loop with you, that's somebody that wants to see you advance and someone that puts you in a position to grow. Number three, leadership and competence. It's difficult to come into work every day to, to get up, get dressed, fight through traffic, deal with all of the theater, all of the politics, all of that stuff. And then you have an incompetent boss. You have someone that's there because of nepotism. You have someone that's there because they're a golf buddy. You have someone that's there and they're clearly one of the worst people in the department. Your department is failing. You don't ever hit your KPIs. You don't ever hit your goals. It's just an absolute cluster. And there are a lot of incompetent people that are at companies. A lot of them is because they've been there for 30 years. I worked for a company, and that was kind of their modus operandi. They promoted people that were there with the most tenure. So they had people that had been there for 25, 30 years, and they would constantly pass over individuals that had been with the company for five or six years that were smarter, that were better, that had better educations, better people skills, were better leaders, better looking, better breath. And they would go with the person that's been there for, for 30 years. That's a demotivator. And that makes people not want to stay with the company. Number two, and this could have been number one, micromanagement. People hate to be micromanaged. If you want, if you want to, to napalm your staff and you want people, you want to turn your staff over for whatever reason, whether it's deliberate or you're just a jerk and think you know it all, start micromanaging people. Start calling more one-on-ones. And asking for a log of what people are doing every day, standing over people's desks. People hate to be micromanaged. I I worked for a company that was so bad on that. And it was funny because this company had a lot of really smart people. But as a part of their DNA and culture, they really were into micromanagement. And we used to have these project managers and PMs and, and, and PMP certification people. Everything that we did, we would have to sit in a six hour meeting and let the project manager go through the Gantt charts and explain to everybody what they were supposed to do. And I used to just laugh. I was just, but you guys are project managers. I could have done this in the five hours that it took us to have this meeting. I could have started on the project. We'd have these meetings at like 6 a.m. It used to drive me crazy. I'm getting up at 5 a.m. to go to, go to a 6 a.m. meeting. It's basically an end-to-end project management slash micromanagement meeting. And then you wonder as a boss why morale is so bad and why people are grouchy. And and I haven't had any time for, for my friends and, and family. And those that are into micromanagement, they, they do it deliberately and they don't want you to have a personal life. They, they do that deliberately. It's a sign of ownership. It's marking their territory. It's basically saying someone wants to micromanage you. They're basically saying that you belong to me. That's what Jim Jones did. Before, before making everybody drink the Kool-Aid in, in Georgetown, Guyana, you micromanage every single step of your life. Beware of the micromanager. And then finally, the reason people leave jobs, man, is because of money. We try to talk about jobs and employment and careers as if money isn't a motivating factor. There's a reason that people work for Amazon. If you work for Amazon, you drive a truck for Amazon. 
You got to pee in a water bottle on your shift because you can't stop the truck. They expect you to deliver a certain amount of packages a day. And they have cameras. They're watching you the entire time. And people deal with it because you make more money. If you work in the, the warehouses for Amazon, they work you to death, but you make more money. I, I knew people that worked in Amazon when I lived out in Seattle. They were like 24. They're making 150 a year. They're working 90 hours a week. They had no life except on Saturday nights, but they're making a lot of money. They tolerate that. I always say, if you want good culture, pay people fairly. Pay minorities fair, pay women fair, pay LGBTQ fair. But at the end of the day, you get up, you go to work, you go through the theater of dealing with your boss, your job, your coworkers. You do it for the money. You're not doing it for charity. You're not doing it to be a humanitarian. You're not doing it to, to, to be a good Christian or, or a good Buddhist or a good Muslim. You're doing it because you want to get paid. And you want to put food on the table. So that's my top five that are alive. Reasons that people quit jobs. Lance J Show. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. Paragon 7 Studios. EpiSource serves Medicare, commercial, and Medicaid plans with a team of risk adjustment experts who deeply understand the complexities of every facet of healthcare. We partner with our health plan and healthcare clients to emphasize transparency and trust to truly become a valuable extension of their team at every step of the way, from outreach, medical record retrieval, coding, to final delivery. With the most significant health plans and healthcare organizations as clients, we aim to obtain the best medical chart retrieval rates, the highest coding accuracy, and the maximum level of project satisfaction. For more information, go to www.episource.com and schedule a demonstration. See, normally if you go one-on-one with another wrestler, you got a 50-50 chance of winning. But I'm a genetic freak, and I'm not normal. So you got a 25% at best at beating me. And then you add Kurt Angle to the mix, your chances of winning drastically go down. See, the three-way at sacrifice, you got a 33 and a third chance of winning. But I, I got a 66 and two-thirds chance of winning because Kurt Angle knows he can't beat me and he's not even going to try. So, Samoa Joe, you take your 33 and a third chance minus my 25% chance and you got an eight and a third chance of winning at sacrifice. But then you take my 75% chance of winning if we used to go one-on-one and then add 66 and two-thirds percents, I got 141 and two-thirds chance of winning at sacrifice. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. Rampage, the first lieutenant of the Universal Flipmo Squad. This man was on the track with LL, with LL and, and, and Big Smiles. That's, that's a legacy. That's hip-hop history right there. I should change it to the Rampage show. James Lewis. I'm not going to do that, though. You crazy. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network.